Welcome to the Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn. And I'm Eric Skelly. And this week, we're talking about Mozart's The Magic Flute, which, Eric, is not technically an opera. It's what's known as a Zingspiel. Zingspiel, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's an early operetta musical comedy form uh, that uh, Mozart embraced. It involves spoken dialogue, uh, and it's more of a populist art form, even though opera in those days did not have the the reputation that it had, say, in the early 20th century as sort of an elitist art form. I think we've gotten away from that now, too. But especially in those days, it was very populist. But Zingspiel was very... Um, it was sort of sort of uh, like musical comedy is to opera today, in a sense. Did Mozart write anything else in this genre, the Zingspiel? Mm-hmm, he sure did. Uh, the Abduction from the Seraglio uh, is also a Zingspiel, also written in German. And it was uh, like the Magic Flute, it was Mozart's uh, desire to write a, a German opera, something for the German people uh, in their own language, uh, a popular entertainment. And in terms of the text of the Magic Flute, written by Emanuel Schickenader in German. <laughs> yes. Well, gosh, where, <laughs> where do we start? It's, it's so dense and it's so hard to sort of get your arms around because there's just so much going on here, from literally from the sublime to the ridiculous. Set in a, a sort of mythological ancient Egypt? Yeah, Egypt being... Um, I mean, there are there's the, the ties with masonry, with, with the Freemason uh, movement. Uh, and they believed that their roots were in Egypt and therefore the, uh, the setting of this opera. Because Mozart and Schikaneder were both, both masons. masons. Exactly. Right. And uh, both, you know, Schikaneder was the one that came up with the idea for this piece. And he actually approached Mozart and asked, asked him to, you know, to compose the music for it. And uh, it's um, it's as you can you can hear it it very much is uh, a very populist thing. It's it goes from these high-minded ideals of uh, a quest for enlightenment that you have in in one uh, set of characters, and then in in one particular character and and uh, and his spouse to be, you have um, basically vaudeville. Papageno is is all about it's vaudeville is really what it is. Let's talk about some of the major characters. Let's start with uh, Tamino. Tamino is sort of our entry character. He's the one that we follow through this this whole thing. And it's interesting because there was one uh, set of, uh, of thought that uh, believed that Tamino was representative of Emperor Joseph of, of Vienna uh, and his sort the Austrian of, emperor. Austrian emperor, thank you. Yes, right. his quest for enlightenment. While Pamina, who is his intended and, and the, the woman he falls in love with, she sort of rep- represents the Austrian people in all of this. So Tamino at the beginning is, uh, is sort of a, a bit of a blank slate. He, he doesn't know, he doesn't really have a, a clear sense of himself and where he's going in life. And through the course of this opera, he finds uh, a philosophy to embrace and uh, a path to, to undertake. He is wandering in this strange land and he's almost eaten by a serpent. Yeah, that's where we first see him. Mm-hmm. He's, 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 he runs on stage screaming for help. <laughs> Not the most heroic entrance ever. And uh, he's being chased by this serpent. And he, uh, he, in fact, he kind of falls in a dead faint. 
again, not the most heroic of reactions. Uh, and he is rescued by these three mysterious ladies who appear and slay the serpent uh, and are all kind of um, smitten by the, the beauty of this young man who's lying unconscious at their feet. Uh, they go off to report to the queen of the night whom they serve. Who is the queen of the land. She is indeed. And uh, while they're gone and, and Tamino is still unconscious, um, our bird man, Papageno, shows up on the scene. Uh, he is a bird catcher. In most productions, he also has very bird-like characteristics. He's, you know, dressed in feathers and uh, sometimes he even has a, uh, a hat with a beak. <laughs> and uh, he's kind of our everyman character. He, he, as we said before, is the vaudeville character. He's comic relief personified. And uh, Tamino awakens and sees the slain serpent and assumes it was Papageno who says, oh, yeah, yeah, I did it. It was me. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, and is immediately corrected by the three ladies who return and uh, punish Papageno by uh, magically padlocking his mouth shut. <laughs> so he can't tell any more lies. Exactly. Exactly. And they introduce themselves to Tamino and explain that they are servants of the Queen of the Night who wishes to meet him. And uh, soon enough, she uh, indeed appears with great fanfare. Uh, this, and, and she sings this amazing aria uh, that uh, that's capped by an F above high C, which is, boy, not easy to hit. <laughs> <laughs> At all. And um, on her behalf, the ladies then, after she departs, present uh, Tamino with a portrait of the queen's daughter, Pamina, whom she says has been kidnapped by this evil sorcerer named Sarastro. And she wants Tamino to go on her behalf and rescue her daughter. And as a reward, he will get to marry the daughter. Precisely. And he sees this miniature. And he falls in love with her. Right. Sings a beautiful aria, Dies Bildnis, which is a, uh, a tenor staple. And um, he is given uh, some tools to go on his quest. He's given a magic flute, actually. Hence the name of the opera. Hence the name of that the opera. That is Die Selberflot. <laughs> exactly. Right. And Papageno is given a magic set of bells or a, a exactly. chimes yes. as well, isn't he? Exactly. Exactly. That they can use when they, should they ever feel in, that they're in their in hour of need. Exactly. Right. So off Tamino and Papageno go in search of Pamina. Pamina, who is, they believe, captured and being held by Zarastro. Which is, in fact, the case. She has been, she, she is being held in, uh, by Zarastro and his, his order. The order of Zarastro is, uh, it's a thinly veiled metaphor for the Freemasons, actually. And they're seeking spiritual enlightenment. But they have some enlightenment to, to experience themselves because they have some very uh, outmoded ideas of, uh, of women, actually, that they, <laughs> right. they have to get past in the course of this opera. It's, 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 uh, it's a very interesting philosophical journey that everybody on this opera goes through. I mean, at first, you know, we, we see the Queen of the Night and we hear her plight about her daughter and we think, oh, this poor woman. Uh, I hope he, you know, I hope he uh, succeeds in bringing her daughter back to her. Well, as things 
develop in the course of the opera, we come to realize that things are not at all as they seem, that the queen of the night is not a good guy, a good girl, or good whatever. <laughs> she's not good. She's not a good queen. <laughs> she's just not good. Right. Um, that, in fact, Zoroastro, although she claims he's evil, he, in fact, is not. Uh, and although, yes, he has kidnapped her daughter, he's done so for ostensibly good reasons and to protect uh, her from her mother well precisely and to to uh, hopefully uh, enlighten her so that she does not follow in her mother's footsteps and become like her and the figure of the queen of the night represents what in in these allegorical terms well if this uh, if this particular uh, musicologist is to be believed that that put forth this theory uh, she's Maria Theresa the empress the Austrian empress who was very anti freemasonry and and actually uh, issued forth an interdict against it so they had to you know basically be very secretive about themselves so Tamino in order to uh, to gain the release of Pamina has to prove himself to Zarastro Right. Uh, and that primarily happens in Act Two. It's a two-act opera, Zingspiel. <laughs> and um, he has to go through a series of trials. And uh, one of the trials is, is, to, um, is to forego food and drink. Uh, another is to not speak to anyone which um, becomes very difficult when he's finally reunited with Pamina. You know, and the two have met by this point and they've fallen in love. And she doesn't understand why he won't talk to her. And he can't tell her why he can't talk to her. And she goes away despondent and is, in fact, actually suicidal at that point because her whole world is being turned upside down. And the one guy that she thought was her hope and her salvation isn't talking to her and has seemingly turned his back on her. And uh, she considers she considers suicide. And there are some parallels, that are the, the sort of parallel stories of, of Tamino and Pimena and Papageno. And the one thing that he seems really concerned with throughout the opera is finding a wife for himself. Yeah, basically eating, drinking, and finding a wife. That's all he cares about. That's it, right there. And Zarastro tells him that he has someone for him. Right. And Papageno is undergoing the trials that Tamino is undergoing. He, he also is supposed to forego food and drink. And he's also supposed to keep his mouth shut, which, of course, he, he can't do. impossible. <laughs> completely impossible. Uh, they also introduce this character, this old crone who comes into the, the cell and, uh, and sort of sidles up to him in a very funny, you know, vaudevillian moment. And, and she's... Uh, you know, and she speaks in this this crackly old voice, and uh, and he you know, he's sort of bantering with her, and and he's he thinks she's she's kind of amusing, and and uh, he says, do you do you have a do you have a boyfriend? And she says, sure I do, and he says, what's his name? And she says, Papageno, <laughs> and he just kind of he, uh, in most productions he kind of does a spit take at that point, <laughs> and as he realizes that this old crone is who Zarastro has in mind for him as his wife. Um, so he too has this little journey to undergo. He has to, he won't reach ever the kind of enlightenment that Tamino is capable of, but he has to come to his own understanding, understanding of his place in the world. This is obviously a fairy tale opera and in line with all good fairy tales, <laughs> they all live happily ever after. What do we take away from this piece, Eric? Ooh, well, 
hopefully uh, what we take away is that we go on this journey with each of these characters and understand where they started from and where they ended and, and what they learned in the process. Uh, and that includes Zarastro, who is sort of the, the father figure and the, the all-wise, all-knowing, but he isn't entirely. He still has some things that he has to learn himself regarding the, the, the place of women in the world because he's very dismissive of women in the beginning. Never and, listen to a woman. Mm-mm, no. He believes the queen of the night is, is evil and, and because she's a woman. And he has to learn through his experiences with Pamina that, you know, that's just ridiculous. You know, he, he has to come to enlightenment himself. So each character is, uh, with the exception maybe of the queen of the night who never redeems herself. <laughs> evil is evil. Right. Evil is evil. But, uh, you know, with each of these characters, we, we come, we go on a journey with them. And hopefully, well, I hope that uh, in each case we learn something with them. We, we come to a, a sense of understanding who they are in the world. And, you know, perhaps uh, if we relate to them, we can understand uh, a little bit more about ourselves. Mozart's Die Zauberflot, The Magic Flute. That's this week's Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn. And I'm Eric Skelly. Thank you very much for listening.